Luke chapter number 8 is where we'll be at this evening. And I won't take up much of your time. Of course, we've got a lot of things going. Uh, I'm just thrilled you all are here. What a a wonderful crowd. Uh, I believe maybe the biggest crowd we've ever had for the taking of the Lord's Supper. And I'm just thrilled that you're here. Uh, Thrilled to have you. Uh, Again, I'll reiterate again uh, now what I shared with you this morning in Sunday school that uh, we believe that a person partaking in communion uh, should have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe that uh, it would be inappropriate uh, for a person who's never been truly converted to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, I, it doesn't really make sense to do so because what we're really doing is we're uh, commemorating the fact that Jesus offered up His life sacrificially for us. And so if you've never truly been converted, uh, I would just simply ask you to consider refraining from partaking tonight, and no one will think twice about it uh, as that goes around. If you choose not to participate, uh, that's not going to be a problem. Just don't take anything from us whenever we send it around. Uh, But uh, if you're here and you do know Christ as your personal Savior, we would love for you to uh, join us in this moment. Uh, It's a very uh, critical one. And so uh, as soon as we leave here tonight, however, we'll have to be back in about an hour and a half or two. And uh, we'll be gathering at about 1030 here back at the church, whichever group we end up taking tonight. Uh, And we'll be taking the church van directly to downtown Indianapolis and we'll be pulling an all-nighter reading the Word of God tonight. And we're really looking forward to that. Uh, I think it'll be a wonderful time, a wonderful experience. And uh, I'm excited about it. I hope that you are as well. So we're in Luke chapter number 8 tonight uh, trying to finish up this thought on casting the seed into the right soil. And we've taken quite a bit of time now to think through and consider what Christ is really teaching in this passage. I've heard this passage of Scripture taught and preached so many different ways. I personally have taught this Scripture in so many different ways, from the perspective of the sower, from the perspective of the seed, from the perspective of the soil, all of those things Uh, I've taken time to consider and even preach sermons on all of those subjects. But I believe what Christ is really getting at when we read this in its context is how important it is for the soul to be prepared for the gospel. And oftentimes the greatest conflict that arises from the seed being cast in and not being accepted is really from soil that has not been properly prepared. Uh, In other words, it's folks that come in and they want to have an emotional experience without the depth of earth, and we've discussed that. Uh, Folks want to come in and they want to hear what it's all about, but they're really not interested in accepting the truth of the gospel, and so Satan will use all these different devices to steal that gospel away, and we talked about that. And then there's that group that that, uh, uh, they, they, they really are so interested and self-absorbed in this world that as the gospel goes out, they really aren't so terribly interested in it. Uh, They might come to church once or twice a year uh, or maybe once or twice a decade. And they're really not interested in the gospel whatsoever. They're just just there. And uh, they're there for the show of it. They're there for the support of it, maybe for a family member, whatever the case may be. But they're really not too interested in the gospel And uh, Christ apparently has run into all three of these examples, but 
This morning, we weren't able to get into the, the final kind of soil, and that's the kind of soil that we all want to have continuously. Uh, the truth be told, while Christ is speaking of having the right kind of soil as far as our souls are concerned to be able to receive the word of God, the truth is, is that that is essential for the conversion of a soul, but it's also essential for the child of God to come into the house of God and actually be able to take in what it is that God wants them to take in. And so tonight, we're going to take time and consider uh, the situation of this final soil. And I want to ask a question. Is the situation the problem? We asked the question, is the seed the problem? And we spent time considering why so much of the seed that's being cast these days is not actually the gospel. We asked the question, is the soil the problem? And we looked at those three types of soil this morning and why it is that uh, in every single case, the seed of the gospel is cast out and then there's no fruit, there's no root, there's nothing that takes place afterwards. But tonight, I want to ask, is the situation the problem? And what I'm actually going to do is we're going to look at this in a positive light first, and then we'll consider the opposite of each of these points in the hopes of showing us what it is that we need. If, if you're here and you don't know for sure where you stand with God and you don't know uh, whether you are secure in Him and you have been hearing these sermons and you don't know where you stand, uh, I'd like for you to once more reevaluate. Are these conditions all four met in your life? If they are, there's a good chance that God is prepared to place the seed of the gospel in you and for it to find root. Uh, if you look back at your conversion experience and you see that these conditions were not met uh, at that time period, that might help you come to a determination on whether your conversion experience was genuine or sincere. You see, the whole goal of the past few weeks, very simply put, has been to try to ensure the security of every single person in this building. I want you to understand that I have a God-given responsibility between now and the time of Christ's return to preach the gospel and to be willing to go to places that are uncomfortable if that's where the gospel takes us. I'd be lying to you if I told you that it's been a great deal of fun. Because I know sermons like I've been preaching cause conflict. At times, they can take a soul that thought there was no problems at all and stir it up and make us reconsider the sincerity of our faith. And you know, oftentimes in times like these, I've been criticized for trying to go in a direction that that makes people lose their security or lose their assurance. And I've thought a long time about that. And I'd rather go to the uncomfortable place, reevaluate, have the Spirit of God stir up our hearts, and come to a solid conclusion than run the risk of keeping it lighthearted or surface level Never reevaluate, never reconsider, and then reach the end of days, whether it be by death or whether it be by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and have never ever taken the time to at least evaluate the sincerity of our faith. I think that would be a tragedy to reach the very end and then find out that our personal experience was not something that ultimately equated to salvation. 
That would truly be devastating. And so I think it's only healthy. In fact, the Bible teaches that we're to do this. That we're to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Even those that, and he says, I don't know whether you're in the faith. Only you know whether you're in the faith. Only you know what your experience was about. Only you know where your heart was when all this happened. And so there's one last soil. And as we look at this soil, I think that this will be really the exclamation point on what it is we've been trying to get to the bottom of. I believe as we consider this final soil, we'll be able to do two things. We'll be able to look back at at our own experience to determine if these conditions were met at the time of our conversion. And if they were, and our, our faith was resting in the finished work of Christ, His substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary, then you can walk out of this place absolutely rejoicing in the security of your eternal destiny. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to be in turmoil spiritually day in and day out. That's not the goal here. The goal is if you have experienced the gospel of Christ as God intended it by faith in Christ alone, then you should be on cloud 12 right now. Absolutely rejoicing that that you know who you are in Christ and you know that you've been redeemed and you know your sins have been forgiven and you know you have a home in heaven. But... The truth be told, there are countless tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that thought, thought that their experience equated to salvation and it does not. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. And you got to remember, this is hundreds of years ago he said this. So you can imagine how much worse it's gotten since then. But he said that he believed that only 10% of modern day churches at his time were truly converted. Now, I'd like to think in a gospel preaching church like this one that that number might be flipped because the gospel's preached and because folks are, are longing for it. It's not like, let me look at the crowd tonight. You're here because you long for the gospel. And so I, I just like to believe that perhaps that number would be flipped up on its head in a place like this. I believe that's very much possibly the case. But if 10%, if 10% are unconverted in a church that's you know running close to 100 people, that means that on any given Sunday, we could have 10 people in the building that might not be converted. Maybe the number's higher than that, 25%. And so I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know what's happening in your heart. I'm not able to go there. But God can. And God will. And we have to be willing to let Him. And then to react honestly and courageously if He shows us that there's something wrong and something missing. And many of you have. I have a great deal of respect for that. I think it's a, a, a wonderful, mighty work of God that we've seen happening. I believe it's been nothing short of actual revival. And I, I don't know if I've ever known revival. Uh, my whole life, I don't know if I've ever known it. And uh, to see it happening is just an absolute thrill. And I know for many, most of you, it's, you're feeling the same way about it. This has been amazing, hasn't it? I mean, this has just been an extraordinary moment. And, and there's nothing we can point to and say, well, look at this or look at that. It's just been God. It's just been a mighty work of God. And it's something to rejoice in.
And so tonight, as we look at this, as we look at this final soil, I hope it'll be a help to you. Look with me at Luke chapter number eight, and uh, we'll look at verse number eight. Of course, we we already looked at those other three soils in verse five, six, and seven. But in verse eight, we have the final soil. It says, "And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold." And when he had said these things, he cried. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Now look on past, look down to verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 15. It, said, but, it says, but that uh, on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us now as we break apart this final piece of ground? Consider its qualities and characteristics. Compare our own circumstances and our own conversion experience to determine if what we experienced was real. I know it's uncomfortable. No one wants to revisit something that perhaps they've just thought was okay for the longest time. But God, there, you, you've commanded us to do this in your word, and not only that, but I just believe that eternity is too valuable for us to hang our entire destiny on something that doesn't measure up to your own description of salvation. And so, Lord, would you help us tonight to consider your word and one final time to reevaluate. Lord, my prayer is that every person in this building would be able to walk out rejoicing. Rejoicing with assurance. Rejoicing with their heart full of the knowledge of what Christ has done. Oh, Lord, would you bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen told you I wouldn't keep you long tonight, and so I want to just move right through this, looking at the situation that we find here in this final soil. And we're asking, is the situation the problem? But I want to look at this. Uh, I want to break apart this piece of soil here and look at its different characteristics and qualities in a positive light. The first point I want to make tonight is that the gospel must land on a legitimate heart. The gospel must land on a legitimate heart. I want you to notice in verse number 15, the Bible says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. What Jesus is saying there is that there are people who will go through the motions, allow the seed to land, And not actually accept it with an honest and good heart. Say, surely there are not people out there like that. I mean, who on earth would ever do such a thing? Well, it depends on what age you were. Let's be honest. How many folks I've talked to that literally the the entire premise of their reaction to whatever sermon it was, was the fact that their cousin so-and-so or their 
their brother so-and-so or whoever it was, they, they got up from their seat and they started forward and without any urging of the Spirit, without any tugging of the heart by God, without any understanding of the gospel, they just, they just followed them forward because it seemed like that's what everybody was doing. And it's not, it's not that they're intentionally doing something wrong, but it's just not legitimate. And what Christ is saying here is that the soil that is prepared and ready for the seed of the gospel is a heart that is legitimate and sincere. That there are no ulterior motives. See, that's what, I believe that's one of the greatest problems right now in people receiving the gospel is all the ulterior motives. In fact, we have become more salesmen of the gospel than preachers of the gospel. And we, we try to use all of the things... All of the things to convince people to just come to Jesus. I mean, if you come to Jesus, this financial problem that you're facing and you're struggling, you'll finally have some answers for your financial problem. If you'll just come to Jesus. I mean, there are people out there that are actually preaching that kind of gospel. The, the depression that you're experiencing or the anxiety that you're experiencing. Oh, it'll all just be eliminated if you'll just come to Jesus. And ultimately, the heart is totally disinterested in sin, totally disinterested in forgiveness, totally disinterested in, in penal substitution or penalty substitution as it's been delivered by Jesus Christ. And the result is people just have this pile, uh, this, this, this sack full uh, in their cart, in their grocery cart, and they're, they're checking out at the grocery line of, of the church and they're saying, hey, I want this and this and this and this, so I'll take Jesus. That's, that's not a legitimate heart. That's illegitimate. That, that's literally taking advantage of the person and work of Christ, which I believe in the mind and heart of God, is actually bordering on blasphemous. It's actually a, a form of self-exaltation. That I'll only receive Christ for everything that I'll get out of it. And yet that is the gospel that's being preached. And so when the gospel of Jesus Christ is, I say gospel very tentatively or very lightly. The gospel of Jesus Christ must land on a legitimate heart. One that is honest, sincere, and legitimate. A heart that is, that is broken over sin. A heart that is longing for deliverance. A heart that is, is wide open to the truth. This is the first condition that must be met in order for the seed of the gospel to fall on good soil. There can't be ulterior motives. There can't be selfishness mixed in. It must be a legitimate heart genuinely longing for the truth of the gospel to have its full impact and effect on the life. The gospel must land on a legitimate heart. Number two, the gospel must land on a listening heart. I want you to notice in verse number 15, it says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word. Having heard the word. That's the second thing that must be present. A person must listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've had circumstances in my life where 
I wanted so badly to share the gospel with someone. And, and I just couldn't. I said, preacher, you got to be... You got to be more courageous. You got to be more, you know, outgoing than that to get the gospel to them. Well, you you had to have been there to understand what I mean. There was absolutely no interest in hearing the gospel of Christ. They they wanted to tell me why they were going to heaven. They did not want to listen to the gospel of Christ. And so they would just continue to pour out all these different spiritual things and all these different things they had accomplished, all the different things that they had been to, all the different things that they had felt. And by the time it was all said and done, I just wanted to get a one word in edgewise, and I couldn't. The truth is, is that if the gospel is not heard, it cannot be believed. Is that true, preacher? I believe it is. In fact, in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so it is critical that the ears of the heart be wide open, ready to listen to the gospel as it is being preached. And and I'm afraid that the reason why so many times the seed is cast out and it just doesn't take hold is because the ears are closed to the gospel. Here's one of the reasons why the ears are closed to the gospel. I've already taken care of that. That's already settled. It's over with. Why is it that God in His Word tells us that we're to examine ourselves if it were not for the case that there are people out there who never go back and revisit the sincerity of their conversion, who never go back to revisit the the thought or the the intent of their heart in that moment of conversion, why would God tell us that we're to re-examine ourselves if it weren't for that? It is a critical part of the Christian life to ensure that what we have been through is legitimate in the eyes of God. That's what's most important. So the gospel must land in a legitimate heart. The gospel must land on a listening heart. Thirdly, the gospel must land on a longing heart. Notice in verse 15, it says, Having heard the word, keep it. Keep it. There it is. Really, in its, in its purest form, that is the essence of what we've been trying to get at through this entire series, is that the gospel is not snatched away by the devil. It's not choked out by the cares of this life or pleasures or riches. It's not something that is kind of received but left on the surface and then eventually just discarded because we didn't really want to take it that far. But it's kept. Why is it kept? Because to that believing heart, it is the most precious gift they will ever receive. You know, my boys, they are treasure hunters. I don't know if your kids are like that, but my kids are like that. It's so bad that whenever we go into like a clothing store, Burlington or something like that, they'll go around and they'll look for little clips or something on the floor. They, got, they just got to find them. And, and then they think once they found them, that they've got something worth a lot of money. And then I tell them, no, that's just the trash that came off the clothes. That's what that is. <laughs> Every once in a while, though, they'll come across something pretty nifty. They had a nice guy the other day that we were working for and, and he came out and they were so impressed with the boys and the work that they had done that they gave them shark teeth that they had found in Florida. They'd gone around and they'd found a, a, maybe eight or ten shark teeth 
And they brought six of those shark teeth out and they gave each of the boys three shark teeth. I had two boys with me, so they each got three shark teeth. Now that's pretty neat. I mean, that's a, a pretty neat little treasure for a boy that's seven or eight years old, nine years old, isn't it? So I told him, I said, you got to tuck that away and you got to put it away because there's one thing I've learned with my children and that is they're not the greatest at safeguarding their treasures. <laughs> Had another guy that decided to give them a tip while they were working with daddy one night and they each got $5. Well, two bo- I'm, not, I'm not using their names tonight because I don't want to embarrass them too bad, but two boys got $5 each and so this one had $5, that one had $5 and this one over here, I, he had his $5 on him every day, all day. I mean, he had, it, he had it stashed right there on his person. The other boy, however, it literally wasn't one 24-hour day, and his had already been on a great adventure. His $5 had been on a great adventure. It had, it had gone through the dirty laundry. It had made its way through the washing machine. It was finally put into the dryer, and it was just spinning in the dryer when I asked him about it. I said, hey, where'd your $5 go? He goes, Mommy put it in the... I said, no, 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 Mommy didn't put it in nothing. You put it in the dirty clothes, and it got lost in there. You keep what's the most valuable to you, don't you? And you know, that's the problem. The gospel today is no longer viewed as the valuable treasure that it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You think of what Christ has done. You think of who Christ was, who he is. The very essence of his person, God wrapped in human flesh, dying on the cross for us. We're talking about the most precious gift that's ever been given in the history of the world. And when you finally understand that, you're going to keep it. You know, I believe the longing of the heart, the desire of the heart at the gospel is something that is still very much alive and real. I believe that people are starving for the gospel. I really do. Despite what we're told I believe that people are desperately longing for the historic gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe people are sick and tired of the gospels that are being spread around so-called Christianity these days. I believe that people are getting exhausted of it. In fact, if you start looking at the numbers, I believe the numbers are staggering. What's happening right now in Christianity in general... Okay, I'm using that term in general and I'm encompassing many different denominations and ideologies when I use that term Christianity. What's happening in Christianity right now is there is a mass exodus going on as we speak. People leaving in droves from megachurches all over the nation. I don't know if you're aware of this happening, but it's happening right now as we speak. These churches that five, ten years ago were bursting at the seams, they're starting to see their numbers dwindling. You know why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being preached, guess what is lost in the life of the church? The power of God is lost. And so people, people are aware of this. They, they can see it. They can sense it. They can feel it. They know it. And so they, they see that the, the power's gone. 
And what we're seeing, did you know there were three baptisms today at Grace Baptist Church down on 75? Isn't that awesome? I was talking to an evangelist yesterday and he, he told me, he said, preacher, he said, I'm hearing the same story you're telling me all over the place. There are people getting gloriously born again all over the, all over the country. People that are planting themselves back into a, a gospel-centered ministry. And the power of God is falling. And people are being saved and lives are being changed by the power of the gospel. And I believe there is still a great longing for that. I believe that the harvest is white and ready to harvest. I believe that there are people out there that are longing to hear the truth of the gospel, the ancient truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's been presented in the word of God. The problem is the laborers. The laborers. That's why Jesus said the, 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 the fields are white and all ready to harvest. Pray that God will send forth laborers out into the harvest. We desperately need more laborers to go out. Because there are people longing for it. And we need to be ready to deliver it to them. Finally, the gospel must land in a lasting heart. Notice it says at the end of verse number 15, after it says that they heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, I believe that I shared this with you a few uh, Wednesday nights ago that we do not have to fall away. There will be a great falling away. I believe we're perhaps in the middle of the great falling away. But we don't have to fall away. God has given us every bit of instruction we need to ensure that that does not happen. And all we must do is adhere to it. Preach it, teach it, obey it, follow it. And I believe that we can endure all the way to the end. That's one of my greatest goals here as your pastor is to endure all the way to the end together. That's what I want to see happening. So how is it that a heart lasts? Well, it truly rests in what Christ has done. It's not just an action that comes from an illegitimate place of self uh, centeredness or seeking one's own desires. It's not a gospel that is really always just assumed and never actually listened to. Another tragedy in a lot of different lives these days is that they've just assumed what the gospel might be instead of actually hearing what the gospel of Christ is. It's not just going because we wanted to go or going because it felt right or going because of this or that or the other. It's a genuine longing of the heart, a, a drawing of God, if you will, unto salvation. That kind of conversion will last. I'm convinced of it. And you're the ones that have inspired me to believe that. I, I know many of you here are here and you've been saved way longer than I have been. And you've been through a lot harder things than I've been through up to this point. And yet you're still faithful. You're just as real today in your faith for Jesus Christ as you were the day you rested in Him. And I tell you, it's nothing short of inspiring to me. To look at some of you and know that, that you're still in the game. That you've not fallen away. That you're just as committed today as you've ever been. Your faithfulness is inspiring. 
And I believe that every heart that's truly been converted will in fact endure. The Bible teaches this. In the book of 1 John, it says it this way. They went out from us because they were not all of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The idea is that there are some who walk away from their faith. Never to return. Say, preacher, what do we do with that? They believed one time and then they didn't believe the next time. What do you do with that? How do you explain such a thing? Well, God's Word explains it just fine. What the Bible teaches there is that they went out from us because they were not actually of us. The idea is is that their conversion was not sincere. They were not truly resting in the finished work of Christ. And that is the very reason why they were able to walk so easily away from it. If you've been truly born again, you cannot be unborn. There is, it's an utter impossibility to be unborn once you've been born again. In closing, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to John chapter number 15. And I want to highlight something here. As you're turning to John chapter 15, I want to highlight something and I'll be done for the night. In verse number 8, it says, "...and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold." There's this mention of fruit being born. And oh, it's so important. It's so important. And then you'll notice it again in verse 15. It says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. What is this all about? This parable is driving home the reality that there are people who who never truly trust Christ as their Savior. It's also driving home the fact that God has a great purpose in saving your soul, and it's so much greater than you. God has a great intention in saving your soul, and it's so that you and I will bear fruit for Him. In verse number 8, it says a hundredfold. In verse number 15, it says that we're to bear fruit with patience. Once you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, one of the clearest indicators that your conversion was genuine is the fruit that you're bearing. This is one of the things I've been trying to drive home here just just very recently to different ones that I've been talking to that are struggling to determine where they stand with God. I don't believe you have to struggle. All you've got to do is do a quick fruit test. In some cases, you'll find that there's no fruit. And you look at your life from start to finish from the time you thought you were converted to present day and you look over your life and you, you have to admit that if today was Saturday and we were having a spiritual farmer's market at church, you would leave empty-handed because there is no fruit at your table. You know, I'm concerned about someone who will literally claim to be a born-again believer for 20, 30, 40 years and you walk past their spiritual fruit table and you think, whoa, did you sell out already? No, I didn't sell out. Well, what happened? I don't know. My, my faith is just, it's private. It's something that's just, it's private. I don't like to talk about it. As I shared with you this morning, I think one of the most unloving things, one of the most unloving things that a born-again believer can do is be quiet about their faith.
I believe it's one of the most devastating things that a, a, a born-again believer can do. I, I don't know how a true born-again believer can go their whole life and never share the gospel one time. Honestly, I mean, if you're truly converted, it just is bubbling. It's bubbling. It's bubbling in your soul, and you can't help but eventually tell somebody about what's happening inside of you. John chapter 15, verse number 1. I want to find out why it is that so many times folks claiming to be Christian do not bear fruit. Maybe they are truly converted. Maybe they just don't know the secret to bearing fruit. I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know where you stand. I can't gr- climb inside your heart and, and do an evaluation or some kind of a checklist to determine where you stand. That's something between you and God alone. All I can do is preach what God has said in His Word and then let the Holy Spirit of God have His way in your heart and in your life. And that's what I'm most interested in doing. But I believe this passage of Scripture will help shed light on why it is that so many professing Christians go most of their lives bearing virtually no fruit for the kingdom of heaven. Look at John chapter 15, verse 1. We'll close with this. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That it, might, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. What is this really all about? Is the goal... You know, I had a lady up in Rochdale. She was a phenomenal gardener. I mean, one of the most amazing gardeners you've ever seen in your entire life. Her, her name was Sister Faye. Sister Faye. And everybody knew when it got to be about July, late July, early August, they knew that the boxes of fresh veggies were going to be coming in to the foyer of the church. And Sister Faye would go, and I'm here to tell you, her garden was jaw-dropping. You go into it, and you look around, and you think, what is she doing different than me? Her garden was absolutely stunning. And I'm sure if Sister Faye was here, she'd be able to tell us probably four or five really great secrets as to how to, to make something extremely fruitful. But I also would go ahead and say that Sister Faye could tell us a few things that if you did them, you're not going to get any fruit. For example, one of the things that used to drive my granddaddy crazy. I mean, literally he would go crazy over this. Is whenever we were weeding the garden. Y'all know where I'm going with this? We'd be out there weeding the bean row. And I'll be honest. As a 13-year-old boy, it's easy to distinguish 
between a weed and a bean plant. But when you're eight years old, it's not as easy to distinguish. And there'd be times where you'd be through, going through there and you're weeding and you're weeding. And hey, that thing's green and it's growing out of the ground. And I just boom, pluck it out, set it on the ground. And I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. And boom, boom, there's another. And next thing you know, as an eight-year-old boy, I look back and I've got four bean plants sitting in the middle aisle. You can be absolutely certain that those bean plants are not going to produce because they've been plucked out of their source of nutrients. As a 13-year-old boy, I'd go along and it was unintentional. I'd be pulling those weeds, pulling those weeds, and as I pulled the weeds, I would occasionally, accidentally, pluck out one of those bean plants. And of course, I'd look around real quick to make sure Granddad didn't see. I'd dig me a little hole, just very gently like this. And I'd go ahead and stick it back there, pat it around, spruce it up just a little bit because it already looked like it was dying. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Hurry and douse it with some water. He'd go down the aisle. Why is that one wet and the rest of them aren't? I don't know. I have no idea. It rained. It rained. That big of a spot right there. No. I don't think I've got to convince any of us that when you pluck yourself from the source of every bit of spiritual nutrients we need to survive, especially in days like these, it won't be long in that fruit that was hanging on the branches will be withered and gone. You know, Satan, he's, a, he's, he's brilliant at disconnecting us from the vine. It's one of the things that he's best at. And you see, when you become disconnected from the vine, I'm talking to Christians now, when you become disconnected from the vine, and Jesus said, I am the vine, when you become disconnected from the vine, suddenly all of those nutrients that flow through the vine into the branches, you're disconnected from that. And so what, what you were bearing fruit for the kingdom of heaven, now it begins to wither up. It begins to dry up. It begins to fall off. It becomes barren. And then there's no fruit on it. It doesn't take long in that condition for something that was once bearing fruit and vibrant and thriving to suddenly look like it's dead and lifeless. And according to 1 Peter chapter number 1, or 2 Peter chapter number 1, it ain't long in that condition. You can get yourself to a place that you even forget that you were purged from your former sins. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? I believe there's two groups of people in terms of those that have been stirred in their hearts over the sermons that have been preached over the last few weeks. I believe there's two groups of people. I believe there are the disconnected people. Those who've been truly connected to the vine. But because of your personal walk with God, you've reached a place where there's no fruit. It's barren. It's, it's empty. And, and you've gotten to the point now where you look at your life and you think, I don't even know. I don't even know. And in all honesty, the problem is not that you're lost and undone. The problem is that you've become disconnected from the vine. You know, revival isn't only for the lost. It's also for the saved. Revival doesn't just take place whenever somebody's converted. 
It also takes place when someone's restored. And I guess what I'm getting at tonight is I believe that there are some Christians in here tonight that need to be restored to the vine. They need to be reconnected in their walk with God. They need to set aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset them. And look back to Jesus who is the author and finisher of their faith. I believe that there are some Christians who need to abandon a lifestyle of sin and addiction. I believe there are some Christians who have adopted a level of worldliness that they need to let go of and walk away from. I believe there are some Christians who have convinced themselves that certain sins are justifiable in their life because of this or that or the other. That need to walk away from that sin and walk back into holiness. I believe there are some Christians who have gone silent, utterly and despicably silent when it comes to the gospel, who have perhaps never even so much as breathed out the reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to a lost soul. They need to pick up the work of the gospel again and go out and begin to preach, thus saith the Lord, to their communities and to their lost co-workers and loved ones. I believe we need to be reconnected to the vine. That's their, that group of people. And then there's the second group of people that have been stirred by these sermons. They're the ones that have never truly been connected in the first place. Those that when they look at their conversion, they don't see a legitimate heart or a listening one, a longing heart. And now it's been made obvious it's not a lasting heart. And if that's you, it's not too late. It's not too late. You know, I've gone back and forth as to how hard to go at this. I really have struggled because in my heart of hearts, I just know. I just, I just know and am convinced that there are some who have heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you do understand that the more you hear it and the more you reject it, the easier it is to reject it. And you say, preacher, I'll just get around to it at a later time. You realize that you could keep on down that road and keep on to your schedule of conversion and it might just land you right in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. You realize that you can go ahead and keep on your schedule of when you want to be converted instead of letting God draw you as He's been drawing you through the preaching of God's Word. You can keep on your schedule, but you do realize God doesn't always have to keep on drawing. Eventually, God shut the door on Noah's Ark. You understand that, right? And as much as Noah and his family and even God Himself would have loved for more people to join them on that ark, it didn't happen. Eventually the rain fell. The wrath of God came. The door was shut. I'm begging you to stop putting it off. And to finally place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope tonight is, as you've heard this sermon and the sermons that we've preached up to this point, my hope is, is that you have just become more sure and certain and solid in your walk with the Lord, that what has been preached has only confirmed that your experience was real and genuine and legitimate in the eyes of God, which is what's most important. But if not, 
know that I'm always glad to have a conversation with you. I don't have all the answers, but God's word does. And that's what we'll do is take God's word and show you how you can know that you're one of his children.